Today is President's Day. Join us as we speak with presidential historians and those who have been in the White House as presidents have come and gone, as we try to gain better understanding of the heritage of the American presidency. We'll discuss the faith of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Ronald Reagan, and George Bush. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. Welcome to the program today. This is not Dr. Jerry Johnson. This is Andrew Abair sitting in for Dr. Jerry Johnson and Pinna Dexter. Uh, Dr. Johnson and Pinna are out at the National Religious Broadcasters meeting in Orlando. We have a special edition of Jerry Johnson Live today. We are celebrating President's Day. Of course, President's Day, uh, formerly known as Washington's Birthday, uh, it's officially celebrated on the third Monday of uh, every February. And it's a time where we as Americans can uh, sit down and remember some of the presidents of the past and uh, reflect on that and, and honor them. And uh, we're going to have a, a great program today. We're going to be speaking with Doug Weed, who's a presidential historian and former special assistant to President uh, George Bush, number 41. And then later on in the program, uh, we'll have an interview uh, that Sharon Geiger over at KCBI did with Dr. Hayes Wicker on leadership and ministry. And then later in the program, we'll discuss uh, the faith of the presidents with uh, a couple of famous Christian historians, uh, William Federer and David Barton. Uh, but first, I want to go to my first guest. His name is Doug Weed. He is the author of The Raising of a President, The Mothers and Fathers of Our Nation's Leaders, and All the President's Children. He is a presidential historian, having been personal friends with several presidents. He is, uh, as I said, for, uh, the former special assistant to President George H.W. Bush. Uh, Doug, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Andrew. Well, Doug, today is President's Day, and we want to talk about some of the presidents of the past. But first, we want to discuss some news with you. Uh, today, Senate Major Majority Leader Harry Reid called the Iraq War the worst foreign policy mistake in U.S. history. Here's a report from Sophia Manis. The Issue repudiating President Bush's deployment of another 21,500 combat troops. The vote, 56 to 34, four short of the 60 needed to advance the non-binding measure. A pledge and blast from Majority Leader Harry Reid of Nevada. The administration's failures to put us, has put us in a deep hole. It's time to start climbing out of that hole. Republican Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. We're not working, we're having a political a uh, theatrical debate that does more harm than good. The next battle, money for the military. Sophia Manos, Washington. 
That was Sophia Manis. And, and Doug, I want to ask you, what is your response to that as it relates to the legacy of President George W. Bush? I mean, you have uh, a Senate Majority Leader saying that this is the worst foreign policy mistake in U.S. history. I mean, is there a precedent for this kind of war plan rejection from both House and Senate? Well, there's there's precedents, uh, similarities for, for everything that we're experiencing right now. Uh, there are those who feel that we've... Uh, that this has been a selfish war. There's some who think it was just personal business, family business. Uh, so, uh, but we we had a war with uh, uh, Colombia. Uh, President uh, Teddy Roosevelt wanted the Panama Canal, so he encouraged uh, uh, the Panamanians to revolt and had the Americans support them. Uh, nobody looks at Teddy Roosevelt in history as uh, this ogre or this. Uh, <laughs> person who's made a grand moral mistake. Um, so there are, <laughs> there are similarities in history, but it's too early really to know how history is going to judge the president on this. Very easily could be that they say it was settling uh, family business and that it uh, wasted lives and made things worse than it was before. Could also turn on a dime, and it could be looked back as... Uh, a courageous president who took a stand against uh, fundamental fundamentalist Islamic terrorism, and uh, uh, who, who was was very early to see the danger. Well, Doug, you've had uh, a very close experience with uh, both President Bush 41 and our current president, George W. Bush. What do you think in the last uh, seven years have been uh, President Bush's biggest, biggest successes and his biggest failures uh, during his time in office? I mean, how is uh, he going to be remembered? What do you think is the uh, key uh, event in this presidency that will mark his legacy? Well, Iraq transcends everything, uh, and uh, that isn't going to change. Uh, it's uh, how things turn out in Iraq will, will be his legacy. It's too bad. Um, compared to other presidents, he's done a number of remarkable things uh, and done them well. Uh, great presidents, for example, uh, restructure the executive branch, which he's done. Great presidents serve um, in, uh, with good leadership and calm leadership in a time of war, which he has done. Um, so he's done a lot of things right, and it must be very disappointing to him that it comes down to this. Yes. My guest is Doug Weed. He's the author of The Raising of a President, The Mothers and Fathers of Our Nation Leaders. Uh, he also wrote the book All the President's Children. He was uh, former special assistant to President George Bush. And, uh, Doug, you've been a presidential historian for years. Uh, let's talk about this is President's Day. What is, in your mind, who are some of the greatest presidents of the past and why? Well, uh, everybody says uh, uh, Lincoln, and they're right. Uh, there are reasons why Lincoln and Washington were among America's greatest presidents. Washington, because he could walk away from power, you know, that, uh, that's not easily done. And uh, uh, he did it, and uh, it had an enormous impact on um, the whole, the whole country and what happened in this country in the years that followed. He set the precedent. Um, so he was he was probably the greatest president in that sense. And then Lincoln, of course, who kept the country together, who was a remarkable person. Now here's maybe a little harder question. Who in your mind is has been the worst president in uh, U.S. history and why? Yeah, that is a harder question for me because some of the presidents that are traditionally seen as poor presidents 
there are mitigating factors in their um, there are good things they did. John Tyler is consistently rated as a poor president, lame duck president, but he he was the first president to succeed to the office because of a death, and the Congress was trying to keep him uh, as a uh, caretaker president, and he actually set the precedent for the fact, no, I've inherited the presidency, but I am just as important as if I'd been elected. <laughs> and that was a remarkable precedent. He also paved the way for Texas coming into the Union, even though uh, he didn't get credit for it. James K. Polk, who followed him, got all the credit for it. Oh, wow. Well, Doug, we're uh, fast approaching the 2008 presidential elections with your experience having served in the White House as President Bush's special assistant. Do you have uh, any favorites out there in 2008? Do any of these uh, potential candidates out there stick out to you? I mean, do any of these candidates look presidential to you? I think Duncan Hunter is almost uh, Churchillian in the way he has taken his stand on uh, the People's Republic of China, the uh, the use of of prisoners, uh, body parts of prisoners that are being sold on the international market by the Chinese government, the atrocities that have taken place there, and it seems as if uh, the world is compromised. Uh, China is such a great market, no one is willing uh, to take her on. And uh, the result is, uh, except for Duncan Hunter, who has stood up and said, this isn't right, and I don't care what uh, the commercial interests are, uh, someone has to take a stand. And I, I find that is pretty remarkable uh, in our day and age. Hillary Clinton has expressed interest in uh, becoming the Democratic nominee for president. And you've written the book, All the President's Children, uh, which talks about the lives of president's children. And I want to ask you, do you see a tendency for those who have been in the White House before, either as a spouse or a child of a president, uh, to attempt a presidential run themselves? I mean, we have John Adams and his son, John Quincy Adams, who became president, George H.W. Bush and his son. Uh, some even called that the Bush dynasty. Uh, well, absolutely. And, and it, it, it's more remarkable than the public would would assume. Even the Eisenhowers saw themselves as a dynasty uh, in uh, 1962, the Democrat Party polled who would be the most difficult candidate in 1964 uh, to face. And it wasn't Nelson Rockefeller or Barry Goldwater. It was John Eisenhower, the son. Uh, David Brinkley at the 1964 convention uh, commented after hearing um, President Eisenhower's brother, what was his name? <laughs> it slips my mind right now. <laughs> And we should have been nominating him. He was the president of John Hopkins University and, a, yes. and an extraordinary man. Milton Eisenhower was his name. And so it, John B Van Buren almost became president. He got into Congress and fought some of his dad's old battles. As far as women go, there have been some amazing stories. Uh, uh, there was a young niece of Andrew Jackson who was brought into the White House, and uh, she, was, she got the bug like everybody else and was just <laughs> fascinated by it all. And uh, Andrew Jackson said to her at one point, uh, uh, daughter, I will help you get back into the White House if it's the last thing I do. <laughs> and uh, he encouraged her to marry uh, a young congressman, uh, James K. Polk. Uh, Polk was not very ambitious at all, but his wife, uh, at the urging of Andrew Jackson, uh, promoted him 
for future office, and he became president. She went right back in as first lady. So once they're bitten by the bug, they can't seem (laughs) to resist it. Well, it seems like she's not the only female who wants to get back in the White House, Hillary Clinton. uh, seems that she's uh, vying for that. And what do you think another uh, Clinton presidency would look like? I mean, do, the fact that, that Hillary Clinton has been in the White House, been closely associated, does that somehow qualify her or make her a better candidate? Or, or what, would la- that, what would that look like? Is that something that you fear or dread, or is it something optimistic? Well, it will make her a better candidate, there's no question, because of the experience that she has. Uh, I don't think it's healthy, uh, these dynasties uh, in general. Um, that, that's uh, what we were getting away with originally in our republic, uh, getting away with uh, from uh, power by noblesse uh, oblige, by the, those who felt obligated to go into government and serve, and uh, a special class of people. Um, it, I don't believe it's healthy, actually. That's my opinion. <laughs> well, Doug, uh, we've just really enjoyed having you on the program. Again, my guest is Doug Weed, former special assistant to President George H.W. Bush. I want have one more question for you, but I want to play a, a soundbite for you and have you respond. Our listeners may be asking, you know, it sounds great to talk about President's Day and the history of the presidents, but how does this relate to me? And uh, I want to play a quote uh, from President Franklin Delano Roosevelt and uh, have you respond to it. To some generations... Much is given. Of other generations, much is expected. This generation of Americans has a rendezvous with destiny. I want to talk about this generation. Uh, Doug, in about 30 seconds, can you tell me why a civil service is important for every American? Uh, what is it going to take for someone of this generation to become a president of the United States? Why should we all be interested in seeking and supporting those in, in public office? Well, we should be interested in government affairs in general because God himself is. The Bible, uh, much of it is written by heads of state. The first five books of the Bible uh, first and Second Samuel, First and Second Judges, the Judges, uh, Joshua Judges are written about the history of the nations. The Psalms, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes are written by a head of state. Most of the major and minor prophets are messages to the nation, or messages to heads of state. Uh, the Book of Revelation ends uh, with a description of the nations being judged. So you you aren't going to be able to say. Uh, well, I didn't care much for America. I was just a citizen there passing through on my way to, through eternity. You'll be judged as an American. So it's, if it's important to God, it should be important to us. I certainly agree. Our guest has been Doug Weed, former special assistant to President George W. H.W. Uh, Bush. Thank you so much for being with us, Doug. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Join us in the next segment. We'll go to an interview Sharon Geiger from KCBI did with Dr. Hayes Wicker. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. 
Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture in the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with his word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Thank you for joining us here on Jerry Johnson Live. This is Andrew Abair sitting in for Dr. Jerry Johnson. Uh, we now go to an interview that Sharon Geiger, news anchor uh, over at KCBI Radio, was able to do last week with Dr. Hayes Wicker. I have privilege to talk today with Dr. Hayes Wicker, who is president of the Southern Baptist Convention Pastors Conference. They're meeting in San Antonio this coming June, and Dr. Wicker is also pastor of First Baptist Church in Naples, Florida. And uh, before we get into the meat of our conversation, Dr. Wicker, you also have just completed two terms as president of the Florida Baptist Convention. And I wonder what kinds of things that Florida Baptists are, are facing Well, during the last two years, we've had some very interesting challenges dealing with hurricanes uh, all over the state, of course, helping follow up with Hurricane Katrina. Thousands of people and uh, really millions of dollars flowed into the disaster areas. We've also been very involved in the Defense of of Marriage Act that's been a proposed amendment to our state constitution. And we've been trying to get petitions to bring that up for a ballot vote. Unfortunately, this past year, in the past election, we were shy of those petitions. And so we're continuing to promote that around the state. Another thing is, of course, great diversity culturally and ethnically in a state like Florida. We deal with the immigration issues. Uh, the changing nature of many of our churches, which are becoming more and more uh, ethnically diverse. We have millions of people moving into the state of Florida from up north. And so the state is very dynamic. There's a fluidity of culture in Florida, unlike few other states in the union. How do you encourage your members to reach out to those who are immigrating into the U.S.? Well, we have uh, currently a Spanish ministry. We have a Romanian ministry that meets in our church. And our church is becoming more and more diverse and uh, of a mixture of people from all kinds of backgrounds, particularly, though, our area. In uh, Florida, for instance, they say the further south you go, the more north you get. So we're very northern. (laughs) We're not a southern Bible Belt kind of area. So you have mostly people who come from either a Roman Catholic background or no religious background. So the most important thing we do is to lead them to faith in Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. and uh, indicate that the sun, the fun, the beach, the golf, all of that will not satisfy until they have a relationship with Christ. And getting back to the hurricane situation, I know that you must have had some tremendous opportunities for evangelism in that situation. Yes, uh, we were not only hit ourselves by a hurricane, Wilma, uh, but mostly we were ministering to those in the, the Gulf area. We, could, we began immediately the day after the hurricane a task force called Conveyor of Hope, and we sent every week teams to areas like Biolabatory, Pascagoula. Uh, we sent uh, really thousands of dollars immediately. We took up an offering 
and sent money to Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. But most importantly, we sent people. We established a beachhead in that area of the Gulf Coast, places they could stay. We partnered with a church, and then, and then our people went. Our Bible and Life groups each adopted a week, and they sent people, supplies, and money up to that area. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just enough to send a check. They went themselves. Well, you are uh, serving as a pastor of pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention. And I wondered if you could begin by uh, just giving us a vision for for what you're hoping to see happen with pastors in the convention in the next couple of months. At our conference this summer, which is the, the main worship spiritual input time of the convention, our theme is Jesus Christ, from him, through him, to him, based on Romans 11.36. And one of the things we're seeking to do is to encourage and call our people to revival, not emphasize different paradigms, uh, programs, or anything like that, but to call people to a vital, renewed relationship with Christ. One of the things I'm going to do is stress expository preaching. Even though my church member and friend Chuck Colson will be speaking, the former Watergate special mm-hmm. counsel, and will we'll speak about engaging the culture, everyone else is going to be a preacher. And we're, we really want to model biblical preaching. Another thing we're going to do is have a variety of music styles that would be both traditional, blended, and contemporary, and then have transparent testimonies of dealing with vital issues where key known leaders open up their hearts, bear their souls, and talk about very openly how God gave them victory in sexual temptation, opposition, pain, and affliction. And uh, three of these will be Texans. And then uh, we're going to have seminars that will be very practical, dealing with how to be equipped in various areas of your personal life and ministry, such as marriage, parenting, finances, sharing your faith, relational leadership, and so forth. And we'll have a, we're calling all of our people together for a prayer gathering led by another Texan, Dr. T.W. Hunt, where we will just seek the Lord. This is not a time of preaching, but a time of seeking God. And I'm praying that we'll see the Holy Spirit just break loose in people, and despite fragmentation and differences and styles, we will come under the Lordship of Christ. That sounds wonderful. Uh, the prayer ga- gathering, for one thing, I think the emphasis on prayer. Could you speak a little bit to the importance of prayer in pastoral ministry? We believe, in, at least in our church, we have a variety of prayer ministries and highlight prayer. We have prayer teams that walk around the campus during the worship services. We have 24-hour prayer with the Watchman on the Wall program. We have prayer partners. We have about seven to 800 prayer partners who receive weekly, or excuse me, monthly specific prayer requests. Each week, people talk about or share on a tear-off form their specific prayer need. And so every Tuesday morning, our entire staff gathers and prays for all of those needs. So we emphasize prayer in our local church. However, I believe that we are in such a state of difficulty in the United States that only calling out to God, crying out to him, as the Scripture says, is going to be the answer. Uh, We're beyond what man can do. We've got to see God break into our situation. And that only comes through prayer. Only through prayer. I noticed that it's going to be a very um, practical uh, conference. Um, Can you tell me about the importance of expository preaching as well, the importance of breaking down the Bible Mm -hmm. so that the congregation can really grasp what the Lord is trying to say? You know, the Word says Ezra read the Scripture to the people and made the sense or, or gave the sense of the Scripture. 
and he was taking the Hebrew and speaking into the captivity of the people of that day. He was relating it in a contemporary setting, but with a biblical foundation. We're called to be Ezra's. And like Jesus, who to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, opened the scriptures and spoke in the scriptures all the things concerning himself. And so from Moses to the prophets, I think expository preaching, particularly through books of the Bible, and uh, certainly dealing with all, digging out all of the gold and the silver from a text and mining that truth is absolutely essential for God to flow through the preacher. It's not just coming over me, but it's through me. So it's God's word, God's truth through God's man delivered through the power of the Holy Spirit. And growing your congregation deep in the word so that they develop those roots that are so, so critical. Um, And one other thing that I noticed is that you're going to be addressing the issue of sexual temptation, which, of course, we saw surface this year in kind of a a big way here in the U.S. Uh, Tell us about uh, the importance of, of, of especially a, a person in leadership, really mastering or or allowing the Lord to master that in his or her life? Well, it's absolutely crucial. And when I think about the Ted Haggard situation, my friend Chuck Colson had just preached there the month before. Chuck came back, and when the scandal broke, he said, you know, there's two problems here. He said, one, Haggard told me this isn't a church. It's a giant Jesus rally. He said, the true New Testament church is a place where you're accountable And he said another problem was that Ted had no one who asked him the hard questions and no one that he was accountable to. And so I I know that even though we are in authority, we are under authority. One of the keys, and I shared this in chapel today with the Criswell students, is that every one of us are going to be tempted and traps and snares are out there all the time. And so a person has to build into their life not only disciplines, but that daily walk where he is in the Word of God and praying, or she is in the Word of God and praying, and letting Jesus be Lord. The turning point in my life as a teenager was when I took seriously Romans 12:1, present your bodies a living sacrifice. And that's the Lordship of Christ. I shared about Eric Little, the great Olympic star that was made famous in the film Chariots of Fire. You know, he said, when I run, I feel his pleasure. But his very last words to Annie Buchan as he died in a concentration camp in China, were these, it's complete surrender. And so unless we completely surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we're going to fall in the financial areas or the sexual areas or the mental areas. Mm -hmm. Let me just ask you one last question in closing, and that is how can those of us who are in the pew encourage and support our pastors? Oh, wonderful question. I think particularly letting him know that you are praying for him, sending notes from time to time, I'm praying. I have a man that comes to me every single week. He said, what can I pray for? How can I pray for you this week? And so I share with him. I think that most pastors are needing relationships, but not for the sake of people getting something or talking to him so that he can help them with a problem. We need ministry and service as well, particularly in prayer. I think also people can encourage the pastor and realize that he's not perfect. He's not going to sound like uh, the best-known radio preachers or, or, uh, or authors. He's doing his best to juggle many, many roles and, and jobs. He's not just a speaker or a preacher. And they need to be patient with him, realizing that so many things are pulling on him and demanding his time. 
Excellent. Well, Dr. Hayes Wicker is the pastor of First Baptist Church of Naples, Florida, and the president of the Pastors Conference for the Southern Baptist Convention. And it has been a pleasure to talk with you today on Jerry Johnson Live. Me too. Thank you so much. That was Sharon Geiger speaking with Hayes Wicker, who's president of the SBC's uh, Pastors Conference. This is Andrew Abair sitting in for Dr. Jerry Johnson. Coming up in the next segment, we're going to discuss uh, here on this President's Day the faith of the president's past and present. Uh, we'll speak with Bill Federer and David Barton. We'll see you right around the corner. listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Thank you for joining us. This is Andrew Abair sitting in for Dr. Jerry Johnson, and we are celebrating President's Day here on Jerry Johnson Live. Uh, we are going to be speaking in the fourth segment about a biblical, biblical perspective on, on uh, honoring those in authority. And we're also going to discuss uh, a piece that came out from the Dallas Morning News on who is the world's worst dictator. Uh, the answer may surprise you. You might uh, want to call in the program later. The number is 800-881-9270. Who do you think is the world's worst dictator? And then you might also want to call in on who has been your favorite president, who has inspired you. Again, the number is 800-881-9270. We've been discussing the legacies of some of our most famous presidents, and I want to uh, take a different angle now and discuss the faith of some of our presidents. Uh, on the line, we have uh, William Federer. He is a popular author, speaker, and historian. He's written a fabulous book called America's God and Country, which is just a fascinating compilation of quotes from some of our founding fathers on God, faith, and uh, religion and public life. Bill, welcome to the program. Oh, it's good to be with you, Andrew. Also with us is David Barton. Uh, he's an author and historian. He's the founder and president of Wall Builders. He speaks to hundreds of groups uh, each year across the nation uh, discussing the Christian heritage of our nation. Uh, hello, David. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Bill. Hey, good to be with you, David. Well, it's good to have you. Uh, David, I want to start with you. Uh, we've been talking about some of the presidents. I want to discuss four of my favorites uh, in history, uh, those being uh, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Ronald Reagan, and George W. Bush. Uh, David, you're a historian, one of the most uh, well-known that I've, I've ever heard of. Were these men Christians or, or merely deists? What role did or has faith played in their lives? Well, if you go through the four that you've got, um, those four all acknowledge Christianity. They, they acknowledge themselves to be Christians. I think probably most people would argue over Thomas Jefferson, and that's okay. You can argue over it. He clearly has some writings to William Short and others. He questions the divinity of Christ. Uh, but one of the things that's interesting about Jefferson is he himself acknowledges that in the middle of his life he went through a real faith crisis. So if, if you don't look at his spiritual growth across the years, you could easily say, well, Jefferson's not Christian. But I look at the fact that, that he started out really pro-Christian, he had this really period of, of questioning Christ, and then came back to really orthodox at the end, and he himself wrote to some of his friends, fellow signers of the Declaration, he says, I am a Christian. So mm. I'll take him at his word. Uh, there's certainly nothing that dissuades me from that. I mean, again, he did have some writings where he questions the divinity of Christ, but he didn't end up that way. So Washington, yes, he says he's Christian. Jefferson, he says he is. 
Uh, Reagan certainly great testimony to his faith, and then the current president. Not only is he open about it, he now holds the record of all presidents for for proclamations. This guy has called America to national days of prayer on 41 different occasions in the last six years. That's more than wow. any other president has ever done. That's an aspect we hear very little about with the current president. But those four you named, I don't have any trouble saying yes, they had relationships with Christ. Well, David, you mentioned Thomas Jefferson, and it, it brings to mind a recent story uh, where Keith Ellison, who is uh, now a congressman, was sworn in on Thomas Jefferson's Koran, and the mainstream media went nuts over it, uh, somehow yeah. trying to justify that because, you know, Thomas Jefferson happened to have a Koran on his shelf, it is suddenly, you know, all right to be sworn in uh, to the United States Congress on it. Now, Bill, uh, you've written... Hey, Andrew, let me jump to that if I can for just a sure, second. Bill, sure, sure. me for this. <laughs> but, you know, Jefferson was America's first diplomat sent to negotiate with Muslim terrorists. In 1784, Congress sent him and two others to negotiate because America was already under attack by radical Muslim fundamentalists attacking America at that time. So Jefferson, 21 years, negotiated against radical Islam fundamentalist terrorism. He, He did it first for the Continental Congress, then he did it for eight years under George Washington as Secretary of State. He did it for four years as Vice President under under John Adams. And then when he became president, he launched the first military attack against radical Islam. It was a five-year battle that went. That's where we get the Marine Corps him. And so you go, why did Jefferson have a Koran? It was real simple. Back in 1784, he asked the Muslim ambassador, why do you guys attack us? It's unprovoked. We haven't done anything to you. The ambassador said, well, that's what's required by our Koran. So Jefferson gets a Koran to learn out how the enemy thinks. He got that book actually to find out how the enemy was he dealt with Muslim terrorists for 21 years, and now Keith Ellison gets sworn in on Jefferson Koran and says, oh, this proves that Jefferson was positively influenced by the Koran. Well, he was. <laughs> he wanted to find out what made these crazy guys think the way they did. So that's an aspect of history that really gets brought out is yes. the long war we had with Muslim terrorists way back at the beginning. My guests are David Barton and Bill Federer. And, Bill, you've actually recently written a book on Islam. Uh, do you agree with what David was uh, speaking on? What is your reaction to this story? Oh, definitely. I, I agree with David. And, you know, Jefferson, the Declaration of Independence, which starts off, all men are created equal. Very cursory reading of the Koran will show that women are not equal to men in the Koran, that an infidel is not equal to a believing Muslim in the Koran. So here he's swearing to uphold equality on a book that denies equality. The Eighth Amendment forbids cruel and unusual punishment. Well, the Koran says to cut off the hand of a thief. Clearly, it's cruel and unusual. Uh, the uh, Constitution, 13th Amendment, outlaws slavery. Well, Muhammad had slaves, and all the caliphs had slaves, and the slavery that continues in the world to this day takes place in mostly in Muslim countries. Um, and then you look at marriage. Uh, most of the state constitutions still have laws requiring a marriage to be a man and a woman, Yet the Koran, Muhammad had 15 wives and six concubines and innumerable women that he took in war. I love the one verse in the Koran. Muhammad said, you can marry a wife for wealth, for beauty, or for religion. Marry at least one for religion. <laughs> 
Wow. Well, how about that? Well, uh, you know, the argument has been from the other side that this is all about religious liberty and uh, religious freedom, you know, the freedom to express ourselves uh, in whichever way we uh, so decide. Uh, David, let me go back to you. Uh, how does this relate to religious freedom? I mean, sh- should they have the freedom to be sworn in on the Quran? How should we think about this historically? Well, you know, interestingly, the, the issue of a Muslim being elected to Congress or the presidency or anything else was a big subject of debate when they ratified the U.S. Constitution, because, again, we were at war with Muslim terrorists at the time. And so, it's, my gosh, under this new Constitution, Article 6 prohibits a religious test. Does that mean a Muslim might be sworn into Congress or become president? And so that was dealt with. And interestingly, folks who helped big names in the Constitution said, well, yes, it does mean that, but that's only going to happen if the American voters lay aside the Christian religion altogether or if someone actually proves themselves such a friend of liberty and faith that people are willing to trust them. And they said that's the only two ways it will happen. So what they pointed out was the federal constitution cannot control the faith of anyone elected to office. You could have a Muslim, an infidel, you could have anyone. Uh, The state constitutions could control that uh, state requirement, qualification. And a lot of states, therefore, went in and said only Christians are allowed to be elected to office out of Massachusetts, out of uh, Pennsylvania, out of so many states. So federally, you could not stop that. And that was the cool thing about, about the founders' approach to religious liberty, was they were strong proponents of the free market approach. They believed that coercion was wrong, that the truth of Christianity would always win out. Therefore, they didn't mind other religions being in America. They just wanted to make sure that Christianity would always have a way to express itself. And that, that's always been good until the courts have now started limiting it. So what we see now is the, the federal court said, the same court that said you can't say under God in the pledge just got done upholding a requirement that public school junior high students go through three weeks of indoctrination in public schools where they're required to memorize from the Koran, pray from mm. the Koran, mm. they're required to take Muslim, I mean, unbelievable wow. that we're now saying, well, you can't do this with Christianity, but you can with Islam. That's where the founders would have gone through the roof, but they really did put it in the hands of the voters. And only if the 5th District of Minnesota decides that they want a Muslim in office is it going to happen, and that did happen. And I'm I'm sure the founders have been disappointed, but they still had great faith in the people. It's hard to believe that this is actually happening in America. I want to play for you, gentlemen, a quote from President Ronald Reagan uh, having to do with faith in the lives of Americans. This is President's Day. We want to talk about the faith of our uh, forefathers and and of our previous presidents. Let's go to that soundbite, President Ronald Reagan. Explaining the inalienable rights of men, Jefferson said, the God who gave us life gave us liberty at the same time. And it was George Washington who said that of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. And finally, that shrewdest of all observers of American democracy Alexis de Tocqueville put it eloquently after he had gone on a search for the secret of America's greatness and genius. And he said, not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the greatness and the genius of America. 
That was President Ronald Reagan. And I want to ask uh, Bill Federer before we go into the break. We're going to have uh, Bill Federer and David Barton uh, come around with us on the uh, fourth segment. But Bill, uh, should what do you think about this quote? Should faith play a role in the lives of those holding public office? I mean, it sounds like uh, Ronald Reagan is a preacher there. In your book, uh, America's God and Country, I'm quoting uh, something from George Washington's prayer journal. Uh, on a Monday morning, he prayed, this is George Washington, our first president, O eternal and everlasting God, I presume to present myself this morning before thy divine majesty, beseeching thee to accept of my humble and hearty thanks, direct my thoughts, words, and work, wash away my sins in the immaculate blood of the Lamb, and purge my heart by thy Holy Spirit. Daily frame me more and more in the likeness of thy Son, Jesus Christ. And he goes on and on and on. I mean, it seems like... uh, some of our founding fathers and, and our uh, pre- presidents previous were some of the strongest Christians. And uh, we're running out of time this segment, but when we come back, I want to ask, uh, what is the, fa- the role of faith, religion, and morality when it comes to policymaking? And should faith play a role in the lives of those holding public office? Uh, David Barton, Bill Federer will join me uh, on the other break. You might have a comment. Who's your favorite president? And also, who do you think is the world's worst dictator? Give us a call, 800-881-9270. We'll join Bill Federer and David Barton after the break. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture in the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with his word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Explaining the inalienable rights of men, Jefferson said, the God who gave us life gave us liberty at the same time. And it was George Washington who said that of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. That was President Ronald Reagan, and this is Andrew Hebert sitting in for Dr. Jerry Johnson here on Jerry Johnson Live. And I have, uh, I'm honored to have two guests with me, uh, William Federer, a popular author, speaker, and historian, and David Barton, founder and president of Wall Builders. Uh, Welcome back to the program. Good to be with you. Uh, we just listened to the Reagan soundbite, and I was reading a quote from uh, uh, Mr. Federer's book, America's God and Country, where George Washington just lays out uh, one of the most doctrinally correct prayers I have ever read. And I want to ask you, uh, should faith play a role in the lives of those who are holding public office? I mean, should we look in a, for in a president a strong Christian faith? Bill, we'll go to you first. 
Well, uh, drive neutral reverse. You know, drive. Uh, our founding fathers, Ben Franklin, who was considered one of the least religious, said we will be held accountable to God in the next life for our treatment of our fellow man in this life. So the founders had this idea that you want to be nice to everybody because someday you're going to have to face God. Well, Western civilization has gone from drive to neutral. The French Revolution, the secular atheism says there is no God, so do whatever you want. And that's given birth to this pluralism that says, oh, all belief systems are equal. Sure, bring in your Sharia law. So Sharia law comes in, and it says, be ruthless to the infidel, because you have to be obedient to Allah. So now we have people being mean to people because they're accountable to this other God. Hmm. You know, here's one quote. You mentioned what the founders thought. This is the first constitution of the state of Delaware. Your office was to, I profess faith in God the Father, in Jesus Christ, his only Son, the Holy Ghost, one God blessed forevermore. Well, this is the Koran. Sir 571 says, Infidels are those who declare God is Christ, the Son of Mary. Sir 573, and Sir means verse uh, in the Koran. Infidels are those who say God is one of three in a trinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sir 4101, Infidels are your sworn enemies. Sir 9123, make war on the infidels that dwell around you. Sir 474, when you meet an infidel on the battlefield, strike off their heads. Now you contrast this to Jesus that said, love your enemies, and here it says, cut off their heads. So we clearly see that this is a faith system that considers Christians, and according to uh, Newsweek magazine, 85% of Americans still identify themselves as Christian, you know, 52% Protestant, 24% Catholic. So 85% of the country still identifies itself as some denomination of Christian, and here you have the Koran says that infidels are those who declare God as Christ, the Son of Mary, and then it commands them to be ruthless to the infidel, cut off their heads, make war on them. So you tell me if, they would have, <laughs> if our founders would have uh, wanted the Koran taught in America. Wow. Well, uh, I want to go to David Barton here. And David, I want to ask you about a couple of potential presidential candidates in 2008. Uh, One of them is Mitt Romney, who is a uh, professing uh, Mormon. And the other one is Barack Obama, who uh, many believe has some kind of connection with Islam. What uh, what is your reaction to their candidacies? And, And would you personally look for a presidential candidate who is a professing Christian? Or does it matter? I mean, is faith, religion, morality important? Or is it specifically the Christian faith? I've got a lot of, of strong feelings on that. I mean, n- number one, Christian faith is very important. But at the same time, I've got to acknowledge that, I, and I can think of two senators right now. I've been in their presence. I've been with them as they stand. They quote the Bible. They talk about the impact that Jesus Christ made in their life. I have seen them evangelize others in, in, in Congress. Uh, I mean, they are outspoken Christians, and they vote for partial birth abortion. They have a zero pro-life voting record. They have not yet voted to defend marriage in any way. And you go, guys, I mean, you're evangelical Christians and you're voting this way? Tell me how this works. And they say, oh, well, that's our faith, but this is our job. Well, I I don't want those Christians. Uh, That's not what I'm after. So for me, faith's got to be Christian. I want to do exactly what we find in, in Luke 6. And there's not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, but those who do the will. And so what I'm looking for is a voting record or proof or an indication that someone has, has got the right, right approach. Number one, that whole aspect of believing in God and inalienable rights, if they do not understand that God is the source of rights, then we get what we get on the Supreme Court. Well, your property is not important. I mean, that's an inalienable right, but we're going to give it to you rather than God. And life's not important in religious expression. I mean, all the Bill of Rights have been prostituted because people uh, on the court no longer believe that those are God-given rights and now alienable. 
I want a presidential candidate who understands that life is sacred, that religious expression is important, that property comes from God, not government. But that's what I'm looking for. Could that be a Mormon? It absolutely could be a Mormon. Uh, could it be someone else? I point to the fact that God looked at Nebuchadnezzar and called him my servant, Nebuchadnezzar. I look at Darius, who was used to bring God's people back to the land. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't even one of God's chosen. But there are many times where the people that God used in the Bible would not have fit my preconceived list of stuff. So I really now look much more for fruit than I do for rhetoric or than I do for the titles they wear or anything else. Well, thank you, gentlemen, so much for your expertise. My guests have been William Federer. He's uh, an author, speaker, historian. He's uh, written the book America's God and Country, which is a compilation of quotes from our founding fathers on God, faith, and religion in public life. You can find out more uh, by going to www.americearch.net. My other guest was David Barton, who is founder and president of Wall Builders, wallbuilders.com. David, Bill, thanks so much for being with me. Hey, Andrew, David, great to be with you. All right. Well, we've been talking about today uh, some of the greats in history, in American history specifically, some of the great presidents. We've been honoring them. But I want to talk uh, just biblically here for a moment as we wrap up. Uh, Dallas Morning News came out with a uh, 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 Who is the World's Worst Dictator annual report, and uh, it just has some of the the dictators listed here. Uh, Surprisingly, number one, the world's worst dictator, according to Dallas Morning News, Omar al-Bashir uh, from Sudan. Listen to this. Over the last four years, at least 200,000 people have been killed by pro-Bashir for- forces. Uh, 5.3 million have been driven from their homes. Uh, more than 700,000 have fled the country. Also in this lim- list is Kim Jong-il. Uh, we... We look at some of these leaders and we see in the news some of these uh, terrible dictators and we sometimes, I think, forget about how blessed America has been to have some of the godly leaders that we've had. And I'm thinking of a verse in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 2. It says, When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, people groan. And uh, I think in America, it, we need to come back to an understanding that we have been blessed with godly leaders. We need to realize that, uh, as it says in First Peter chapter 2, verse 17, we need to honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and we need to honor the king. And uh, while we don't have a king in America, we have a president. We're commanded uh, all over Scripture to honor those who are in authority, to pray for them. And we need, as Americans, to really lift up the arms of our president, especially President George W. Bush, as he's dealing with the war in Iraq, and uh, just gather around them and support them and honor them, remembering them as we do on this uh, very special President's Day. Well, this is Andrew Abair. It's been a pleasure to be with you today. Kirby Anderson will be sitting in for Dr. Johnson tomorrow. A Kirby Anderson of Probe Ministries. Also want to mention, if you are interested in listening to Jerry Johnson Live archives, go to our website, www.jerryjohnsonlive.com. We are now putting archives online. Uh, join us tomorrow. Kirby Anderson, it's been a pleasure to be with you. This is Andrew Abair for Jerry Johnson Live. See you tomorrow. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.